This podcast is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness. Were the 1980s so awesome, they improved songs from prior decades. Put another dime in the jukebox, baby, and let's find out. Once again, it's time for the Idiots. An objective defense of the 80s. From a couple of idiots. Welcome back to another episode of the Idiots. An objective defense of 1980s pop culture. From a couple of idiots. My name is Will, and joining me as always is my friend, and he's also my co-host, and his name's Ray. It is my great pleasure to be here this evening. Ah, yes, me too. You know, I I, I once had a job telemarketing, you know, or the, it was a terrible job. It was uh, calling people up to see if they were interested in going to dental school. That's a pretty narrow search over the phone. <laughs> right? But we had little mirrors in front of us, and we had a smile whenever we were talking because hmm. it changed your attitude. So now I'm doing that now. So I have a positive attitude for the show. Should have just had the cat with the hanging from the limb, you know, the hang in there poster. <laughs> hang in there, kitty. We might have had that too. So today on the show, we're going to be talking about hit songs from the 1980s that you probably didn't know were actually a cover. But before that, don't forget to like, rate, review, subscribe, all the good ways you can let us know you enjoy the podcast because it also lets other people know. And during this month of July, please vote for us or nominate us for a podcast of the year award. This would be huge for us. Win award, get more awesome guests, maybe even bigger guests. Maybe some of the guests who said they were coming on and then bailed on us at the last moment will actually come on. Yeah, because then we can email them the picture of the award. <laughs> oh, no. And, and that'll make it legitimate. I think you're going to have to Photoshop something now because I'm thinking you're... <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing we have like a bowling trophy or some kind, like a giant, yeah. maybe like a microphone on top of it. Yeah, a T-ball with it just duct taped over. <laughs> uh, but you can go to our Facebook page to find out about that. And in fact, while you're there, hey, follow our Facebook page because uh, that's where a bunch of cool idiots just like you and us uh, get around and chat. Okay, so before we move on and talk about hit songs from the 1980s you didn't know were a cover, let's get caught up on 80s news. Lots of stories for 80s news this week. This uh, one first up, uh, the original bass guitarist of, of Van Halen, Michael Anthony, uh, recently shared a photo on Instagram and revealed why he's not ready yet to share some stories about his past bandmates. So, of course, you know, Ray, that Michael Anthony was uh, kicked out of the band for some reason uh, and replaced by Eddie Van Halen's son, Nepotism. <laughs> yeah, I think it had a lot to do with him just wanting to play with his son. But I think it also had to do with uh, Michael hanging around with uh, Sammy Hagar way too much. Oh. It does seem like the Van Halens hold a grudge, right? I mean... They do. It's too bad because as fans, we suffer. I think we, we're the ones that are really getting punished. Oh, yeah. This week's been crazy for them because he also got... Uh, Eddie's, you know, got the cancer. And there yep. and David Lee Roth said he might not ever tour again. Oh, Referring to Eddie. And then Wolfgang jumped in and said, that's not for you to decide, David. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you have some so, colorful pants to squeeze into? Yeah. So there's always Van Halen news to talk about. So when Michael Anthony shared this uh, photo on uh, Instagram, he was sitting in a hot tub and uh, 
saying that he was missing his fans and missing uh, being out on stage. And folks, uh, some of the fans chimed in saying, and I quote, why don't you start a series, Stories from the Road? You got some cool pics, man. And the response from Michael to the fan was, quote, not ready to get divorced yet, end quote. So, yeah, I guess, <laughs> come on, Michael. He knows the Van Halen's family more than, you know, <laughs> better than anybody. He knows he's not getting back, right? I mean, they toyed around with David Lee Roth years ago. Yeah, I think he could share stories and not the risk of blowing it in the future because, Michael, they're not, you're never going to have you back, dude. They hold grudges. I think he's referring to his own marriage marriage oh, oh, from oh. the stories. Oh, see, I, I think that's what he meant by that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I read the title of the article, bro. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he's referring to he'd rather not, you know. Right. Oh, boy. Well, wait a second. Just saying that, them's fighting words right there. <laughs> that is. Now he's got to explain that at least. Well, now I'm going to double check here. In the hot tub picture, it looks like he's alone. I only see the one set of feet, so maybe he's already in, quote, <laughs> hot water. See what I did there? <laughs> yeah. That's great. I like that. Hey, in other 80s news, now this somehow, the, 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 the I guess the underlying story of this slipped by us, uh, you know, and probably because, as you know, week to week, there's too many news items to cover. We have to just sort of pick and choose. But this is one that I, I think we would have reported I guess we found out earlier this year, but we missed it somehow, was that coming sometime soon, there's no date right now, on HBO Max, which I think is the new channel they're launching, which is going to have uh, like Friends on it, and they're going to have the Friends reunion. They're gonna, I think they're going to have that uh, Justice League Snyder cut on there. That's how they're going to you know, uh, launch this thing. But another cool thing coming out is an animated series, Gremlins, Secrets of the Mogwai which is a animated show that's going to tell the story of how our, you know, the, our favorite, well, maybe not everybody's here, but my favorite, uh, Gremlin Gizmo, actually came to meet the shop owner, Mr. Wing, when he was just a young boy. And I think the article means Wing was a young boy, not Gizmo. Well, that, that would be a twist. If Gizmo turned out, he was a young boy. <laughs> turned into a mogwai? Yeah, maybe it's a curse. Maybe Mr. Wing isn't as nice of a guy as he seems to be. <laughs> He is a little, he's a little scary. That whole scene at the beginning yeah. of that is pretty scary. But the what we've learned now is that the from the executive producer and writer, I'm going to say his name is Say Chun. Say Chun. Uh, he confirmed that Howie Mandel, and I'm not, I'm not saying that's guessing at his name. I know his name. I'm guessing at the pronunciation, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. That Say Chun has confirmed that Howie Mandel. So, folks who don't know, Howie Mandel did the voice of Gizmo in the films. You know, he did that baby voice, which he did that in a number of different things, too, cartoons, etc. And in his, his uh, stand-up, he did some characters like that. In any case, he will not, I repeat, not be providing the voice of Gizmo this time around in this animated series. Cue sad music, I guess. Who would be your first choice, then, for if you were going to pick a cool voice? I'm trying to remember how you know, Gizmo's like, Gizmo! I'm a baby. Doesn't he sound like a baby or something like that? Kind of, kind of, kind of like that. I don't remember Gizmo saying a single word. I think he says words, but they're in that baby talk. Okay, so it's got to be someone contemporary. It's going to mm-hmm. be Zac Efron because that'll get the kids to Giz, Gizmo. <sighs> that, that's series. a good one. I want Gilbert Gottfried <laughs> doing like his parrot or Affleck doing, thing. Yeah, mm. yeah. I want that one. I want him to sound like that this time. Mm. There's got to be a, so there's got to be like an up and coming comedian or somebody who does some kind of silly voice of some kind. Mm, Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. Yeah. 
I would like a streetwise, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mogwai. That'd be yeah. awesome. Yeah. Maybe doing that uh, voice that he does when he does that crack addict character. <laughs> that would be fun. That would okay. be cool. I don't know. Look, I'm going to watch it anyway and see if it's anything. I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about a Gremlins cartoon. Is it for kids then? I mean, Gremlins, the movie itself, is dark. I think it's, you know, it's, there's a, it's very violent. Uh, it would be scary for a young kid. So what is this cartoon going to be? My kids loved Gremlins. Um, they saw it when they were seven, so. Yeah. So maybe the cartoon's for them. Raise kids. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, yeah, I'm guessing it's going to be a cartoony version of that. Without all the killing and mayhem, I guess. If your kids are like raised kids, you'll they'll love it. Or they'll be angry because it's not cool like the movie. Yeah. I, th- I think I'm leaning towards that. It's probably not going to be cool like the movie. Right. I'm guessing it's going to be really watered down. All right. Well, so we'll complain about that when that comes out. Uh, there's no date on that so far. I guess the one small bit of good news is also in this story is that Joe Dante, who is the original director of the Gremlins films, uh, is back as an executive producer. So that's cool. All right, speaking of what of old things being new again, there's another 80s uh, news item for you. The never-ending story, Queen. So the, the actress who played the Queen, Tammy Stronach, I'm going to say, or Stronach. I don't, I mean, again, come on. Come on, folks. They should have a pronunciation key when they send these stories out. Okay, she's going to star in a fantasy film with two other 80s icons, Sean Astin and Christopher Lloyd. How is it that she... That this woman who we we know from the movie, but we haven't seen since, got two of the biggest 80s stars and and big stars today still to be in a film like this. I don't know. Maybe she got them drunk and got them to agree to it when they were all liquored up. I mean, that oh, happens. Maybe in the 80s she got something dark story on them, you know, that she could use back then when they were all making films. Yeah, maybe she got them to sign something back then. Oh, yeah. Right. Because it was like that thing like you see sometimes in these stories, mostly on rom-coms or TV shows. Hey, if, if we're both single when we're, we're, in our, <laughs> we're in our 40s, we'll get married, okay? So she was like, um, if I'm not in any other movies, <laughs> right. when I'm in my 50s, or you know, we'll make another movie together, right? Yes, we all agree. Now, they went on to be big stars, and we haven't heard from her since. The film is called Man and Witch, and it was written by Stronax, or Stronach's which I really knew, husband, Greg, Greg Steinbrunner, and it will be directed by Rob Margolis. It's described as a heartwarming homage to the lo-fi fantasy films of the 80s and a comic adventure that both fulfills and subverts the expectations of what a fantasy universe can be. Lo-fi 80s films, I mean, fantasy films. All right, we're done. Let's watch it. Come on, get it out. Wait, why are you looking? Was that a skeptical face? What was that? I don't, I don't, I don't know if I like that description. Okay, maybe not. But here, this, I think this will clinch it for you. Adding to the lo-fi '80s vibe, the Jim Henson Creature Shop's been hired to create puppets for the film. All right, I'm, I'm back in then. I knew it. My, yes. My, my uh, call on puppet domination for the near future is coming <laughs> true. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Right. That's right. This is we like the third week in a row we've talked about puppets in movies. Mogwai's a puppet. Here's more puppets. That's right. You're moving towards all puppets. All puppet that's, films is what Ray's predicting. That's right. I think this sounds pretty cool. Never Ending Story, that's a pretty cool movie. Mm-hmm. I love Sean Astin and Christopher Lloyd, of course, and Jim Henson, Creature Shop. Come on. Yeah, I, I look. I'm more looking forward to that than that uh, Gremlins animated series. Yeah, yeah. Those two guys alone will make me watch it. 
And I'm sure no matter what it is, it'll be great. Yes. Okay. Hey, in our last bit of 80s news, I would like to play a game with you. And it's, I don't know what it's going to be called yet. So we'll just say it's called, um, what's called this. I have no idea to be so much. I won't pay it. <laughs> I thought we were going to call the game, make Ray look stupid. No, 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 no. Because that's all these not games all. ever do. That is not true. Okay. So in our new game. I have no idea to be so much. I won't pay it. I'm going to give you two items from the 1980s, two rare collectibles, both of which have recently hit the auction block. And you're going to tell me which one is valued at more money. Okay. So here's the first one up for sale on eBay is a rare, the holy grail of action figures, the Boba Fett with the rocket firing jetpack that every child wanted, but then it's, it never materialized. Um, as you know, there's just a few of these that actually are in existence. Um, one of them belongs to the owner of uh, Steve Sansweet, the owner of Rancho Obi-Wan, which is the largest collection of Star Wars toys located in uh, Northern California. It's the largest collection in the world, but he's located in Northern California. Okay, so that's item number one. And everybody knows what that rocket firing Boba Fett is, right? People were going to shoot their eyes out, so they decided not to have it shoot the rocket. So they- yeah, I, I think a couple of dumb five-year-olds ate the things and was choking on them. That's why they <laughs> that, took it off the market. Those kids, they ruined it for everybody. If we could find out who those kids were, yes, we could treat them poorly now. Or we could travel back in time and stop them from eating the jet pack, mm. whatever. The projectile. Projectile. Okay, so here is the other item. This item is a sealed copy of the Super Mario Brothers game that came out in 1985. The cartridge is still in its original plastic uh, ceiling. Ceiling? Yes, ceiling. Still sealed in plastic, yeah. There you go. It was graded in A-plus condition because it's unopened, and it also featured hang tabs, which is, uh, I guess, like the thing that you're actually hanging on a shelf with, right? Yeah, I think uh, back in the day, they used to have the games hanging behind the counter. Oh, okay. So it had to have the little cardboardy kind of plastic hook on it so they could put it on the thing. Well, apparently this little addition, this hang tab, is a rare and short-lived variant of the game's original packaging. All right, so there you go. So those are the two items. You got your rare Boba Fett, and you got your uh, Super Mario Brothers sealed variant packaging. Which one is valued at more money? I, I have no choice but to go with my rocket launching Boba Fett. No choice, because he's the man. That is correct. That's right. The uh, Super Mario Brothers cartridge just sold at auction uh, just a few days ago uh, with a winning bid of $114,000. Man. Which beat a previous auction record of $100,000 for a single video game which was set in February of 2019, which was also a sealed copy of Super Mario Brothers, but didn't have that variant, I'm guessing. Whereas the rare Holy Grail of Boba uh, Boba Fett uh, action figure is now listed on eBay for $225,000. And while it hasn't sold yet, the last, or I guess the, the Boba Fett had and historically has sold for the most was one that sold just a short time ago for $185,000. I wish I had that kind of cash laying around to buy a Boba Fett. Right? I really wanted to call this segment something like, dude, you paid too much for that shit. <laughs> but I couldn't find an 80s movie that said something like that. Hmm. So the game could also alternatively, alternatively be called this. In Philadelphia, it's worth 50 bucks. 
like that a lot. <laughs> All right, so that's what the segment will be. All right, so uh, that's and that's the end of that, and that's also the end of 80s news. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, so hey, like we said, don't forget, rate, review, all those cool things, nominated for podcast awards, everything. Join us on Facebook. Tell your mom and dad and your nephews and nieces about the idiots. If you love the 1980s, if you don't, then it's really weird that you're listening to this show. But mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, let your pen pal know. Let everybody know. Yeah, your pen pal and... Prison or wherever. Prison. They need entertainment too. I was thinking more like Wisconsin, but oh, all right, whatever. They, they've got prisons there too. <laughs> I think the whole state of Wisconsin might be a prison for all I know. I've never been there. All right. Okay. So, hey, so, so today you and I are going to be talking about hit songs from the 1980s you didn't know were a cover. So here's how we're going to play. I'm going to give you two songs. Both songs were released in the 1980s. One of them was a cover of an earlier song, okay? Now, I'm going to tell you ahead of time here. One of them is a trick, and the answer is going to be both were covers. Ooh, fancy. And what I found interesting in doing this exercise was is that there are a lot of hit songs from the 1980s that were actually covers of prior songs, more than we can do today. Um, Okay, so here you go. Here's your two. Which of these was a cover of an earlier song? Obsession, 1984, by Animotion, or... Don't You Want Me, which came out in 1981 from Human League. I'm going to go with Obsession. The answer I'm going to give you back is a musical answer of the original version of the song. You are an obsession. I cannot sleep. I am a possession. I'm open at your feet. This sounds like me screwing around with uh, the keyboards (laughs) at my buddy's house. (laughs) And then, like, talk singing over yeah, it. Yeah, I actually got some stuff that sounds exactly like that. <laughs> Look at that. Now we need someone to cover your song. And, <laughs> and it's turn into a hit. hit. Yeah. And you just got to wait for those, you know, the royalties to roll in, because you'll get a mm-hmm. cut, obviously, of every song. So Obsession was originally written and recorded as a duet by songwriter Holly Knight and musician Michael DeBar, I'm going to say, in 1983. Now, their their version actually does appear in a film, A Night in Heaven, during a scene where, with, in which Christopher Atkins bumps and grinds, this is from Wikipedia, bumps and grinds into Leslie Ann Warren's face in sync with the rhythm of the song. Okay, I'm not familiar <laughs> with that movie. I know who those people are, of course, but Animotion, of course, their, their version is in 1984, or, or debuted in 1984, and it hit number five on the UK singles and number six on the US Billboard Hot 100. Mm. So you're off to a great start. Okay, so here's another one for you. Which one of these is actually a cover of an earlier song? Mickey by Tony Basil, which came out in 1981. Or Jenny, which also came out in 1981 by Tommy Two-Tone. Mickey or Jenny? Based on that, I got to go with Mickey. All right, and here is the answer. like this one. Yes, I found, I actually did find that oftentimes listening to the originals, I really enjoyed the originals as well. That one sounds really cool. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. Mickey was actually a cover uh, of the song Kitty, written by Mike Chapman and Nicky Chin, uh, and first recorded by the UK music group Racy in 1979. Hmm. Of course, uh, Tony Basil recorded her version in 1981, and it hit number two on the UK singles 
and number one on the Billboard Hot 100. What I didn't know was, in reading about this, was the Mickey version of the song is semi-controversial. Some folks, including some uh, music critic, suggested that what the song is about, and I'll put it the way the music critic put it. She said that uh, something to the, paraphrasing here, Tony Basil is the first person to record a song about a woman offering a man Yeah, I don't get that from the lyrics. Yeah, there's some line about, uh, give it to me however you want, and I'll take it like a man. Yeah, there's a line about in the can, but I I think she's referring to the bathroom, not her I see. And Tony Basil says, quote, in response, Tony Basil said, quote, when it's a guy singing about a girl, it's a sweet line. But when a girl sings it, it must mean Yeah, I agree with her. I think it's about having sex in the bathroom. Yeah, but now I got to track. I got to track down the original now because that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's a good one. So that is again. That's by um, the group named Racy. I also thought it was interesting. Two different music videos of the, of, of Mickey were actually recorded. Um, one features her with the ba- a backing band, but the one that everybody knows, I think, is her in the cheerleader outfit. Which, you know, with the dancing around the, <laughs> which is the one she absolutely didn't want to do. Is that right? Yeah, she thought that made her look like a moron. Oh, well. You know, she was a choreographer. Yeah. She may very well still be a choreographer. But what I also learned was that the cheerleader, the cheerleader version of the video is considered the first choreographed dance video. I mean, it was early, so I guess it's from 81. It doesn't seem surprising, I guess, when I think about it in the context of when MTV even debuted. So hmm. I think that's probably true. That, that could be true. But once again, that looks like I could have choreographed that video. Oh, I see. So yeah, her qual it didn't meet her standards of choreography. So does that mean she didn't choreograph? I assume she choreographed it. I don't think so. I, I, don't know. I think she just wanted to be a pop star. So she gave in and did what they told her and it worked. So, but it didn't give her a very long career either. Yeah. Okay. So here is another one. Which of these was a hit songs from the 1980s was actually a cover of an earlier song. I love rock and roll by Joan Jett. Or I Ran by Flock of Seagulls. Both of those were released in 1982. That would be I Love Rock and Roll. And you know that. You just know it. It's not that a one guess. I know. That's not a guess. I know that one. She was very good friends with that guy and he passed away. Is so. that right? I didn't yeah. know that. I think he's dead. If he's not dead, sorry, man. But <laughs> Ray just killed you. Pretty sure he just passed away not too long ago. Well, we could look that up. Meanwhile, here is the uh, original. This is another one that I really like the original. I, I, I love good. both versions of this song. They're both really yeah. cool. Those drums are really hard. So I Love Rock and Roll, and maybe this, you're referring to one of these gentlemen, was originally written by Alan Merrill and Jake Hooker and first recorded by The Arrows in 1975. The uh, Joan Jett version that, of course, most of us idiots know from 1982 reached number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and number four on U.K. singles. And the song was ranked number 56 by Billboard in their list of uh, greatest songs of all time. That's way too low. It should be in the top 10. Yeah. Come on, Billboard. They don't know what they're doing. And maybe they update that periodically, but... Uh, they, they're yeah. probably using facts and numbers to come up with their list. Come on, use Ray's opinions instead. <laughs> you should use opinions, because that's what counts. Yes, especially uh, in this area here. 
Except for when we're determining what, whether the 80s were better. That's all objective. Mm. All right, here, here's another one for you. Which of these is a cover of an earlier song? Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cyndi Lauper or Time After Time by Cyndi Lauper. Girls Just Want to Have Fun came out in 1983 and Time After Time came out in 1984. Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Are you guessing or do you know? I think I've heard this mentioned this before. All right, well, here is the answer. I definitely like the Cindy version better. Yeah, the, 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 yeah. This is this is one of the uh, this is an exception to what we've been uh, hearing here. So yeah, the feminist anthem "Girls Just Want to Have Fun" was actually written and recorded by a man. American musician Robert Hazard recorded this song in 1979. Of course, while most folks do not know that version, the the single for Cindy Lauper was a her breakout hit. It's still, I think, probably the most well known song of hers. Uh, having reached number two on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and number two on the U.K. Singles Chart. It's actually been covered, you know, so that was a cover of Robert Hazard. It's been covered by tons of folks since. At least 30 other artists have either covered it in a studio or as a live recording. All right. You're doing really well. So far, so good. Got them all right, I'm pretty sure. I think so. See, and you were always saying about these these things are designed to embarrass you. Come on. Yeah. This one's a little better than most of the, you know, you're asking me like chemistry and ancient Egyptian hieroglyphic or, uh, reading and stuff like or that. Or was it TV spinoffs? It's hard to remember because you always take me out for drinks and then stick me in front of a microphone. <laughs> you're probably more grateful than the other episode <laughs> I was thinking about doing today, which had to do with 80s hip hop. Oh my God, I got murdered <laughs> on that. I wasn't going to quiz you, but oh, okay. we'll get to that. We'll get to that episode soon enough. Okay, so here is another one. Which of these is a cover? I suspect you know the answer to this one. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to guess. Come on, Feel the Noise by Quiet Riot or Foolin' by Def Leppard. Both of those were released in 1983, but one of them is a cover of an earlier song. That would be Come on, Feel the Noise, which is Slade. Of course! Which sounds almost identical to the Quiet Riot version. I agree. And here's a clip of that. Gotta hear the chorus. <laughs> Were you a fan of a Quiet Riot? I absolutely love Quiet Riot, and that's one of the songs. If it comes on the radio, I'll never turn off. Yeah, blasting it in your car with the windows down. Yeah, I don't care who hears me. My poor daughter hiding her face <laughs> in shame. Uh, yeah, I get that now too. Stop. <laughs> Especially when you pull up to a light. Stop it! Right, yeah. Stop now. She's trying to roll the windows up. But that one, you're right. That is so close to, the, or the Slade version is so close to Quiet Right. You can uh, listen, listen to either of those interchangeably. Yeah, it was custom it. made for them to cover. So Come On, Feel the Noise is a song, like Ray pointed out, by Slade. It was originally released in 1973 as a non-album single. The Slade version itself reached number one on the UK singles chart, which gave the band their fourth number one single, and it remained on the charts for 12 weeks. It only reached number 98, though, on the US Billboard Hot 100. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, originally the lead vocalist for Quiet Riot, Kevin Dubrow, who, who's no longer with us, 
did not want to cover this song. They, they were asked by a producer to cover it, consider covering it. And he thought, no, 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 we want to have all originals on the album. So instead they came up with this plan to do the demo, but as terribly as possible. But as the drummer um, tells the story uh, Frank Benali says that um, he, he explains that when they went in the studio to essentially record a goof version of it in his DNA, he explains he can't do something poorly. Yeah. So when they wound up listening back to what they recorded, it sounded great. Yeah. Yeah. As they say, as they started to play it, they just got into it. And it, that's the one, they did one take from what I've heard. Right. Yeah. I, I believe that's right. That the first take they did. And and they actually told the engineer, again, this is according to Frank Benelli. They said, hey, you can record it if you want, just as a goof. Like they didn't even care if he recorded it or not. And he, and he wound up recording it. And it was, obviously it's this. It's the hit song that we all know. Yeah, and by the second album, they were digging through Slade's catalog to see what else they could do. Yeah, that's hilarious for as much as uh, Kevin hated Slade. <laughs> that they, as Ray points out, on, on their less uh, popular uh, follow-up uh, album, uh, Condition Critical, mm-hmm. uh, they covered a different Slade song. Um, what was Mama, it? Mama, we're, we're all crazy yeah. now. What I didn't know, and I just learned, was that you know the another Quiet Riot song that I actually do like, "Stomp Your Hands, Clap Your Feet," is actually takes its title from the American name of a Slade song, "Old, New, Borrowed, and Blue." So they that's another Slade reference there. They could have been a Slade cover band if they really wanted to. <laughs> I mean, that's how they made. Yeah, that's how they made their money, and it did yeah, be, became popular. I don't even care. I love Quiet Riot. All their yeah. songs are good, in my opinion. Yeah, me too. Come on, feel the noise. Reached number five on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, and now we're talking about the Quiet Riot version. And it was so popular that it brought Metal Health, the album that it was on, to number one on the U.S. Billboard uh, 200 of albums, the first heavy metal album to reach number one on the album charts. Yeah, that's one of the very first albums I remember getting my hands on. Yeah. You know, and that's one of them that help me become a metalhead back in the day. That that album was oh. huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a cassette of it. I think I even had the vinyl for that one. That would have been cool. I'd like to have that now. Yeah, that'd be cool. There's nothing... Well, back, you know how when you got the vinyl and you're just staring at it. Yeah. And there's a dude wearing a big metal mask on the front and you're just <laughs> yes. sitting there staring at it. Like... Yes. I, I'm going to listen to this whole album and just stare at it. Yeah. Because somehow that makes it better. Yeah. Yeah, that was a cool image on there. Okay, here's another one. All right, so which of these is a cover of an earlier song? Tainted Love by Soft Cell or Just Can't Get Enough by Depeche Mode? Now, you're familiar with both those songs, right? I've heard them. Um, I'm going to say both. Both is not the answer. <laughs> so the both, the both one is still yet to come. Damn it. Uh, the correct answer is this song. I like this version too. This is a hundred percent better than the one that I'm familiar with. I love, I mean, look, I like the soft cell version. I think he got, I noticed I corrected myself. I said, I love, and then I stopped. I like the soft cell version. It's been played way too much since we were kids. Uh, you hear it at every wedding. You heard it at every high school dance when we were kids. My um, buddy did that thing at karaoke all the goddamn time, man. <laughs> 
Uh, you know, I'm picturing your friends that show up for fantasy football. I can't imagine any of them singing it. I, I'm not going to say who it is because it's not fair. If he wants to come on the show and say that he's the one that did it sometime, then fine. But I would like to hear him do that version. <laughs> this version is rocking. It's a Motown version. Yeah. Uh, so it was orig- the song itself was originally composed by Ed Cobb formerly of the American group, The Four Preps. And it was originally recorded by Gloria Jones in 1964, and it didn't get, any, didn't get popular. It started getting a little popular in the UK, and so then she recorded it again in 1976, but both times it failed to chart. There's a story that uh, a gentleman in 2010, DJ Ian Frank, the worst recalled, he says that when Mark Almond, who was the lead singer of, uh, of Soft Cell, worked as a cloakroom guy, uh, he was playing the song. Uh, so uh, Mark Almond hears f- this guy, Frank, playing the song and asks him, is this the Gloria Jones version? He says, yes. And then now, sometime after, Soft Cell starts performing it live on stage. You know, this is this is before they're picked up. And then an A&R groups, you know, uh, sees this and, and has them record it. Of course, their version attains worldwide fame uh, in uh, 1981 after they, they change it from this Motown version that we heard here that we both like you know, using synths, etc. Their song spent 43 weeks on the U.S. Billboard 100, peaking at number eight. <laughs> Ray's just shaking his head. No, no, no. I just, yeah, not a, not a soft sell. I hate their their name. I hate the song. <laughs> I don't like anything soft. <laughs> it's just a dumb name. It's a dumb song. They ruined it. I wish it would just disappear. Stop playing it on my radio. Well, I'll only play that version from now on. Yeah, from now on, we only play the Motown version. That song may be the, one of our exceptions to the 80s taking something and improving it. <sighs> yeah. But it's the exception that proves the rule. Hmm. I don't know what that expression means, but people say it. They say it when they're caught making a mistake, I think. I think we're just going to pretend like Soft Cell never existed. Never existed well, then. But look, we've talked about this before. You know, appreciating that uh, the 1980s pop culture is better as a whole decade than any other decade's pop culture doesn't mean that each little item of pop culture was the best. We're talking that's, about overall. That's true. That's true. It's allowed for 80s stuff to suck. Yes. We need some to suck so you can tell by contrast how great other things are. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So here's another one for you. Which of these is a cover of an, of an earlier song? Red Red Wine, the 1983 song by UB40. Right. Or... Don't Worry, Be Happy, the 1988 song by Bobby McFerrin. This is a tough one because I want to say both again. (laughs) I should never have said that. I should have just later on said to you, you're wrong. Both are. It's a trick. But I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go Red Red Wine. And here is the answer. Red. that version i think it's pretty I, good i do like that that's that's funky so this song actually was originally written performed and recorded by neil diamond in 1967 <laughs> now that's not neil diamond singing that obviously that's not neil diamond yeah he's doing a great uh jamaican uh accent if that was him i would be yeah. like oh my god how did he do that <laughs> new respect for neil diamond now neil diamond's version reached number 62 on the billboard hot 100 in 1968 Shortly after Neil Diamond's version came out, several different artists covered it, including 
Tony Tribe, a Jamaican singer, recorded this reggae uh, version of the song in 1969. That reached number 46 on the UK singles chart. In fact, it became their record label's first hit. UB40 heard that version. Mm. In fact, in 1983, when they recorded their lighter reggae version of of the song Red Red Wine, they didn't even know it was a Neil Diamond song. (laughs) Maybe when they had to start cutting them checks, they're like, make it out to Neil Diamond. (laughs) Yeah, why are we paying Neil Diamond? Yeah, what's happening? Now, their version hit number one. In, uh, on both the Billboard uh, Hot 100 in the U.S. and the U.K. singles chart. Now, later on, because UB40's version is the biggest, most popular version of Red Red Wine, Neil Diamond starts performing a UB40 version of the song in his concerts. <laughs> I wish he would do the reggae version. Well, the UB40 one's kind of reggae, but it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not like that. It's, yeah. it's not. The, don't ever say they're reggae. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say they're reggae, but... <laughs> The, Their version is not even close to reggae. The thing about Neil Diamond doing it in concert, and I was at a Neil Diamond concert where he did this. Oh, yeah? 25, 30 years ago or something like that, I saw Neil Diamond. I, I, and I was a big Neil Diamond fan at the time. I don't really listen to him that much anymore. But in the Neil Diamond concert, when he does the UB40 version, he does the rap. Oh, my God. How, how do he do? UB40 sounds like Eminem next to Neil wow. Diamond's version of it. I'll have to hunt it down then so I can give an yeah, honest find, opinion on it. find it. All right. I think this is the, is this the last one I have? Is then this, this is both. One? I don't even have to, <laughs> to guess. <laughs> God dang it. You See, f- you're better at these quizzes. <laughs> you're better at making them than I am. Screw this. I always screw up right, some well, detail. What, uh, what are the songs? God damn it. I should have said that it was a both. I should have, and you know, I didn't do that because I want—I didn't want to then feel you to feel like you were tricked. I I'm should have said, said trick. <laughs> you should have left it as a trick. Ah, dang it. <laughs> so what were they? Well, I'll tell you what. Here's, I'm going to change it up. So you know, they're both covers. All tell right. me why I bring these two songs up together. Okay. All right. I think we're alone now. All right. By Tiffany. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Moni Moni by Billy Idol. Because I'm guessing those both came out of the the girl groups of the 60s with the Phil Spector era. Oh, that is a fantastic guess. It's probably wrong, but... It's definitely wrong, <laughs> but it has some elements that are true. You're right. It does have that sort of vibe. And it came, it, both songs were actually uh, popularized by Tommy James and the Shondells in the 1960s. I think We're Alone Now was written by Richie Cordell. In ultimate, like I said, and performed by Tommy James and the Shondells in 1967, and it was a hit for them. Children behave. That's what they say when we're I like Tommy James. Yeah, he's got a lot of cool songs. Pretty cool. That, uh, side note: uh, Tiffany yep. played at my high school. What? She did. Wait a second. We won a contest, and Tiffany played my high school. That's crazy. One of the local radio stations had a contest. We had to fill out mm. all these. Stupid ballots. Yeah. That said 107 whatever was my favorite radio station. So uh, we sat there at lunch and we just all filled them out. I didn't know who the hell she was or nothing. But, you know, I was on board. I was a team player. I filled them Dang stupid it. things out. And mm. then we went in the gym. She played in our gym. Mm. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. I don't know who the hell she is, but this is cool. I would have loved that. <laughs> So you know, I don't know if you I don't know if it was like this for you because you know, we have different musical tastes. You know, there's a there's a I want to say Zen diagram because we're peaceful, yeah. but a Venn diagram mm-hmm. where our tastes overlap. But in high school, same thing. So 
I think there was this kind of unspoken, I don't know, maybe rivalry among, not rivalry. Uh, you either liked Tiffany or you liked Debbie Gibson. There was something where they were sort of pitted against each other by fans, not by, not themselves. They didn't have a rivalry themselves. But it's like, are you a, are you a, you know, Tiffany or you like Debbie? Tiffany, it might be because she had red hair, you know, just so beautiful and attractive. I got to tell you, I have been trying to get Tiffany on the show. I've been holding off doing this episode because I wanted to have her on here to help you go through <laughs> these. But I, apparently all the channels I have to get a hold of her, she's not getting back to me. So I don't know hmm. if she's ever... Tiffany, if you're listening, and you might be, please come on the show. Let's let's get you and Ray back together to reminisce about when you performed at Ray's high school. See if you remember it the way he does. <laughs> I'm sure she was just as thrilled to be there as I uh, was. <laughs> what if they shuffled her like from one like high school in a different town? Over, you know, what I mean, I don't know. It was nationwide when she was doing her mall tour. Yeah, okay, I do remember. So that. it was one of those swing by this high school. I see. Do a couple songs. I, I mean, it wasn't like a full concert or anything. It was, yeah. it was that song, obviously, yeah. and and then it, it might have only been that song for all I can remember. <laughs> okay, one more time. <laughs> we got to fill a half hour. These kids want a contest. I remember her talking, singing, and leaving. That's all I remember. Oh, oh love Tiffany. Interestingly enough, she, originally she did not want to do the song. Her producer gave her the cassette of the of the. Tommy James version that I just played you, and she hated the idea of recording it for her album, mostly because she thought that this wasn't a, a modern sounding or hip song. You know, we're talking about the 80s here. But then the producers remade the song as a dance track mm -hmm. and played that for Tiffany and her friends, and they started dancing around to it. Then Tiffany wanted to do it. The story goes that she recorded the song in four takes, and it became the biggest hit she ever had uh, immediately. Her version of the song spent two weeks at number one on Billboard Hot 100 and three weeks at number one in the UK singles chart. Now, like I mentioned to you, I bring this up because, coincidentally, another Tommy James and the Shondell song, Billy Idol's version of Moni Moni, followed it in the top spot. So it knocks Tiffany out of the top spot. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Because I like that better. Yeah. So here is a bit of the Tommy James version of Moni Moni. What are you supposed to say? Well, shoot him down, turn around, come home, hold it. I'm not, not going to do it. Can you tell I was a DJ in the 80s? Yeah. Yeah, you were. So Moni Moni, as we mentioned, it was originally recorded by Tommy James and the Shondells. It was also recorded by Richie Cordell, who wrote, or rather written by Richie Cordell, who wrote, I think we're alone now, but co-written by Tommy James himself, Bobby Bloom, and Bo Gentry. Of course... Billy Idol released the cover version of it in 1981, which reached number seven on the Billboard dance chart. 19, was that 81? Well, follow along, right? That's what I said. But, and it did fine. But then, in 1987, he recorded a live version of it. And it ah, blew up. Ah, there we that go. That, of course, went on to be number one on the Billboard Hot 100, and it's at that point in 1987 that it kicks uh, or displaces Tiffany's cover of uh, I Think We're Alone Now. But it also, I guess, ultimately it finished uh, directly behind Tiffany's song at number 19 at the year-end uh, Billboard chart for 1987. Now, as I alluded to earlier, by mm -hmm. lowering the mm -hmm. volume at particular times there, the I Billy Idol version gave rise to an interesting custom that resulted in this song being banned 
from school dances, <laughs> including dances that I DJ'd at when I was a kid. Oh my gosh. I had so many run in with nuns that would run over. Stop, stop, turn that off, turn it off. And I'd be like, I can't hear you. <laughs> oh gosh. I was a rebel. Yeah, you did good. What's interesting to me, and I, I had this idea, like our question, why did people start shouting this, you know, and you folks, if you don't know, I and mean, we could say it and just bleep it out, some version of uh, get laid, get f- Get laid, get, I don't know, high, drunk, so, laid, you know all kinds of things can fit in there. <laughs> I can't remember exactly how it goes. All, all kinds of shenanigans happen during that. <laughs> There's a broadcaster and a blogger, Alan Cross, has been investigating this phenomenon since at least 2012, trying to figure out what the origin is of folks shouting out obscenities during a (laughs) Billy Idol song. And what he found out was what gets shouted out varies by region. So my Mm -hmm. version that I'm shouting out, maybe maybe that's why you're struggling with it, because it doesn't sound like what you recall, because you had a different thing. And that's probably the case. Hmm. He was trying to look into whether people were shouting it as long way back as to Tommy James doing it. But ultimately, he uh, had a chance to speak with Billy Idol himself. And Billy Idol said he believes that it started in frat houses, in colleges and universities where folks were shouting this out and spread from that. He recalls having first heard it around when he did the live version. Mm -hmm. But as I looked at some of the posts on uh, Alan Cross's blog where he wrote about this, Folks in the, in the last, you know, several years commenting were saying when they first heard it and where they first heard it, and it was all around the world, sometimes as early as 1982. So it seems like folks might have started shouting it out at Billy Idol's original recording of this. I don't know. It's kind of neat that this spread like that without the internet, <laughs> though, you know? That is cool. None of us can remember exactly what it was, but yeah. I'm sure somebody does. You know, what's funny is come come tomorrow when I'm at my job as a full-time podcaster <laughs> and it comes on the radio, I'll instantly yeah, I, remember it. <laughs> uh, I'd be there to see if you to shout it out, though. Oh, I will. <laughs> all right. Hey, that is, that's all of it. You did really, really well. You got them all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I missed, I missed one when I yeah. called the double on the one. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. So right. I got one uh, wrong. That's not too right. bad. No, that's the best you've ever done on any of these I quizzes, think so. I think. So... We had a lot of fun. We talked about uh, how we had a number of songs in the 1980s that were hits in the 1980s that folks did not know were (laughs) covers of prior songs. But have we proven anything? (laughs) That's exactly what we have proven. Oh, we did. We have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. Oh, my God. That the artists of the 1980s were the best at keeping the fact that they were doing a cover a secret. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, probably not having the internet helped but yeah yeah that that helped a lot very good hey we will talk to you next time on the idiots see ya see ya